Welcome to FraserCast, a place where we discuss all things autism, mental health, and special needs. I'm your host, Dave Fettig. Today we welcome Tiffany Byers-Drager, Director of Community Living at Fraser. Her passion in the human services field began in 1991 when she worked as a job coach for a vocational program in her hometown. Her 29-year journey in the field has carried her through a number of leadership roles in residential and vocational services, as well as case management, compliance and risk management, and program accreditation. She is a graduate with honors from St. Cloud State University with a degree in psychology and statistics. She is also a program surveyor for CARF International, Commission on Accreditation of Rehabilitative Facilities for the past 12 years, consulting other human service providers on a national level. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Central Roofing, which is the presenting sponsor for the 2020 Fraser Walk for Autism. Join Team Central and Fraser at the Walk at the Mall of America. Please visit fraser.org for more information. Tiffany, let's get started by imagining a parent or a guardian sitting on their dining room table and they have a sheet of paper in front of them and they draw a line down the middle. They're thinking about a possible residential setting for someone. And on one side of the page is hopes, another side of the page is concerns. What should I be thinking about? What should a parent or a guardian be thinking about if they're considering a residential setting for someone they care about? Um, well, I can say this. At Frasier, um, we, uh, our goal is actually to look at a residential um, setting that um, is as much like you or I. So there'd be a lot of questions that I'd be asking is, um, as, a, as a provider, what do, you, um, what do you consider your priorities? What do you consider, um, what do the services look like? Um, what do your staffing patterns look like? And so as a parent, I guess those would be some of the questions that I would be asking uh, when looking for a new provider or looking for a, a change in provider or for the first time. I would say at Fraser we've got um, uh, residential site settings of, of a variety of different types. But our goal ultimately is to have our individuals living in a home, a residential setting, just like you and I. We all make choices. We all have parameters within you know, our living situation. But our goal is to actually make sure that the individuals actually have choice within those parameters. For example, uh, we look to provide services that are very unique for the person. We also look at whether we're providing choices in their service planning. Uh, we do roommate matching assistance for those that are living in apartment settings or even in the homes. We also work on what matters to them as far as setting their goals. So just like you and I, um, when you're looking for a residential home, you want to make sure, um, or even those services, you want to make sure that the provider is actually really looking at person-centered and also looking at person-focused services. Um, we really... Um, Strive on helping each per each person enjoy the highest level of independence possible in their community living center um, situation. We're making sure that it's person centered, person driven, and that they feel like they have a decision in where where they live and and what they do day to day, how they work, um, their roommates, what they eat, uh, what their bedroom looks like, what their um, living situation is like. Choice is a big matter um, when it comes to looking for a provider. So tell us about a residential setting. What are these homes like? What, what what should we expect? There's a variety of different types within the field. Um, I can say that Fraser, um, we offer a variety of housing options for both adolescents and adults with uh, different abilities. There are three distinct living options, each one providing their own unique style of community integration and inclusion based on the needs of the individuals. Our first option is supervised living. And just as it sounds, it's a very supervised setting. We have residential homes. Uh, most are owned by Fraser. 
They're located in suburban neighborhoods. We have 27 homes where there's four individuals within each home. We provide 24-hour staffing, uh, sometimes awake, sometimes overnight in the evening, depending on the, um, the needs of the individuals. So um, if I could stop you there, Tiffany, before sure. you describe the last one. So supervised housing, someone is living there at all times with the residents? We is actually, that the distinction between the others? Or Yeah. Well, with the supervised living, we actually have staff there 24-7 on, on the spot in the homes providing services. And depending on the needs of the individuals, we may have one to two to three different staff working in the homes. It really depends on the needs of the individuals within those four. So, And it's actually a team decision. So it's really based on screening from the county and also through working with the team on what the needs of the individuals are based based on what kind of staffing patterns and staffing ratios were in the home. So no home looks the same. It's really based on those that are actually living in the homes, those four. And again, um, we also provide 24-hour health service consultation with nurses. We actually have nurses that do drop-ins to those supervised living homes on a regular basis and are actually on call 24-7. So staff can call them if they have any concerns, whether it be with a medication or maybe they need to go into urgent care for a possible you know, strep infection, whatever it may be. Those nurses are available 24-7. And then we also have some of those homes being accessible. So that's our super supervised living homes. We also, and I can say too, the structure of our staffing in those homes is we have an on-site program coordinator who's always there. Um, around the clock. And then we have staff who are there 24-7 around the clock. We have on-site coordinators who are there uh, Monday through Friday, say 9 to 5, um, available, but they are accessible. We have on-call program coordinators who do rotating, who are there also for asking on questions on staffing patterns or programmatic questions that may come up or any kind of emergency. So staff are never alone in those 24-7 homes as far as having the ability and accessibility to program coordinators and nurses. Each home also has uh, assistant coordinators at times, depending on the level of care in the home. So we may have two levels of coordinators in the supervised living homes, depending on the needs of um, the individuals. So we, on average, have about five to 15 staff per home. It all depends on, again, the needs of the individual. So our homes are very individualized based on the assessment and needs that are created through the team decision. Fantastic. And given that they're highly specialized, depending on the residents, can you still, though, give us a sense for what a day, a week, a month looks like? That is to say, you mentioned programmatic uh, coordinators? Does that involve getting uh, residents in and out and around? Um, or if they're transportation services, that sort of thing. What, yeah. what does a day look like? So in the supervised living, and yeah, and we can talk next about supportive living, but in the supervised living, um, those individuals, because they have the 24-7 care, most of them have transportation needs. They have needs on getting to work, needs on getting to medical appointments. Our staff assist them with all of those areas. Um, and again, they work with a team. But I would say a day in the life um, of an individual living in a supervised living home would be they wake up in the morning, they have staff there assisting them with their medication as needed, and then helping them with breakfast, getting ready. Again, it's all based on what their needs are. Our goal really is to get them self-sufficient as much as they possibly can. So let's say there may be one individual that can actually shower on their own, get ready for work, um, get their medications, staff just to kind of do queuing, letting them know, hey, your bus is going to be here in five or 10 minutes to get to, to work. But we may have some individuals who actually need hand over hand assistance with actually eating, dressing, 
we have such a wide range of needs within our individuals within the homes. But that would be the start of their day. And then a lot of them go to work. Some of them stay home. And then from there, when they get home from, from work and their day program, it's a matter of just kind of winding down from the day, maybe taking taking their medications again, working on um, maybe some goals that they're planning on, um, whether it may, may be... Um, I'm trying to think like planning for a trip, um, doing money management, grocery shopping, then it's meal planning. Um, and again, we have some individuals doing their own meal planning. Um, we assist with that. And then a lot of it's just, uh, there's activities that happen during the week, whether it may be bowling, um, social events. And then on weekends, of course, we really try to make sure that our individuals get out for special events, going to movies, just like you and I. So. Yeah. That's great. Uh, thank you for that. That's very helpful. Yeah. So let's go back to the parents and the guardian. Uh, at what point would someone consider uh, residential setting, this type of care? Um, you know, we have a lot of individuals that actually live um, with family members for quite a period of time. Um, but then they may find that the care of, um, uh, of taking care of that maybe family member is becoming um, just too much. Um, and so they may reach out to us as far as looking at maybe their loved ones can live in a residential home or a residential setting like ours. But we also have some individuals that may all of a sudden they're able to live on their own, but they may have something like a traumatic brain injury and they end up needing to have residential setting. And so, and the home, um, maybe their family home is not able to care for them. And so they'll look at um, a provider like us to see what level of care we can provide for them. And like I said, we have supervised living and then there's a few other um, options also that I can talk about. So parents, family members, guardians are very much involved in this process. Oh, yes. In choosing the residence. Very much so. Um, we have some individuals that are their own guardian. So with that, we let them, you know, have their choice, make those decisions just like you and I. But then we do have some individuals that actually have um, guardianship, whether it be private or public. And then they have, or, or they may have family members that are hugely involved and they stand in as guardian. And with that, they are part of the, the process entirely. And so they'll sit in meetings with us. They'll help us with the intake process. They'll, they'll be part of the team. Because really the goal is to make sure that the individual is feeling self-sufficient as much as possible, that they're reaching and attaining their own personal goals. And so having that family input, who a person who knows the individual better and best is really where we're looking at I mean, that's ultimately how we're going to provide the best services. And having that advocacy is great. I found that parents are the the biggest advocate in coming coming together with us and working together and trying to create basically a, a large circle of support for our individuals. When should parents, family members, guardians start thinking about a possible residential setting for someone? That is to say, uh, years down the road, is this a goal oftentimes uh, for a particular patient? And then relatedly, but more a matter of business, is there a waiting list at Fraser? Do I have to think about this in advance? Yes, there is a waiting list. Um, so we do suggest, um, you know, and, and the thing is we can actually uh, sit down with families and parents or guardians and do kind of a, a walkthrough session of what we have to offer because um, we do have supervised living, supportive living, and independent living. So we have a wide array of of services to offer at various levels of, of supervision. And so um, I think it'd be really good for a parent to actually sit down or even give us a call. Um, there is a number you can call um, to get some more general intake information. 
I would heavily suggest um, if a parent is thinking that down the road, I'm looking at my son or daughter needing this type of level of service. Yeah, we'd be more than willing to. I have a few um, meetings coming up where I'm sitting down with a few caregivers, um, guardians and team members um, just to walk through what we have to offer um, because there is a waiting list. Do patients, residents, uh, sometimes move between different types of residents depending on needs? Do they grow into other needs or do they transition for various yes. reasons? Yes, we actually offer a continuum of care um, and supervision where individuals can stay with Frazier but move within the different living options as their needs change. Um, that's one thing that really impressed me with Frazier coming on board here. It's really a benefit to the individuals as they remain with the same provider, um, someone that knows them well and that increases their quality of care as we become very familiar with their wants and needs. Um, of the individual and the team. So um, what can what, what is really nice is we can have an individual um, who's living in supervised living, which is, again, 24-7 hour care, move into actually a supportive living, which is more of our apartment settings, which I can talk about. Um, and then we have independent living, which is actually where they're living in their own apartment, just like a tenant, but they're getting um, just minimal support from us. So there's a way for people to actually, and that's that's actually our ultimate goal is to have individuals living as independently as possible. So we've had individuals actually move from supervised living to supportive living to independent living. Oh, wonderful. Um, or the other way. Um, but Fraser is always there to catch them. If for some reason, whatever it may be, they fall into needing uh, more support, we're there for them. And we know them well. We know them best. So when they're with us for that long longevity of time. So, so I, I imagined homes when you were describing the residences earlier. So apartments, is that like a typical apartment building that we would imagine? Imagine, yes. and staff live on site in another apartment. How does that work? Yes. So supportive living provides an option for adults who want to live more independently and require less support um, than a typical residential home. Services are delivered in their own apartments or their homes. We currently have four apartments um, with 12 individuals being supported. Some of those individuals are living on their own and some actually have roommates. Remember I talked about the roommate matching? Um, we actually help them with that. Each apartment site has a program coordinator, just like we have with our residential settings. And then we also have a direct care staff. But the difference between the supportive living and the supervised living is supportive living, actually, these individuals are living in their own apartment, but they get just um, check-in time. But we actually have an on-site staffing apartment that's there 24-7, but the staff are actually not within the same residence as the individual. So it gives them a a feeling of a sense of more independence, which actually they're, they're getting that, but we actually are there still running goals with them, still helping them with whatever needs they, they may need, but we're not on site actually in their home. So they're actually living in an apartment. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a really nice setup. We actually have four um, buildings like that and we're looking to um, expand those services. Um, we also have registered nurses that um, do stop in each month and just do oversight of the medications. Um, it's again very more, it's hands off. Um, we don't have the nurses there doing cares or consultation like supervised living, but they're, they are still there for a phone call if staff are, are looking for some any kind of medical input. Um, but for the most part, it's much more integrated in the community where individuals actually go to the doctor or urgent care. Um, staff will help them if they need it, but transportation, coordination of um, community events and things like that will help them with those things, but the individuals are much more independent. A lot of them work um, independently in the community. 
Um, and so, and, and some of the things that we offer there, um, in those, in those, um, again, those, uh, supervised or excuse me, supportive living homes is we're looking at meal planning, grocery shopping, paying bills. But again, those goals are much more, um, defined because the individual for the most part is much more independent. Got it. And so it's just more specific on, um, some of those skills that they need because for the most part, they're fairly independent. Thank you, Tiffany. This has been very informative. You mentioned earlier that there are four apartment buildings. Can you give us a sense for how many total residences that you have in the Twin Cities Metro? Yeah, so we actually, in our supervised living homes, we have 27 group homes. Wow. And they're located in suburban neighborhoods um, within Hennepin and Anoka counties. And then we also have four apartment settings, which are the supportive living that I mentioned to you. Um, and those are also scattered throughout um, the Twin Cities area, both north all the way to the southern metro area. Um, and then we also have independent living apartments that are also um, within our metro area and spread out within the southern and northern metro areas. Wonderful. I'm going to circle back to a question I raised earlier about a waiting list. Sure. Uh, how early should a parent be or guardian be thinking about uh, a residence uh, in advance of when they might, you know, hope to put someone in? Um, I would say that it's never too late. Uh, I think it's always good to plan ahead. I'm a planner, um, and I think that I, uh, many parents that I've met who are really strong advocates um, are also planners, and I think thinking ahead is always a good good notion. And so I think it wouldn't hurt to actually reach out to Fraser if you're thinking at some point your son or daughter would be in need of services like this. Like I mentioned, we have a continuum of services, so it's always good to educate yourself on what your son or daughter um, may need for services in the in the near future, um, and and with that continuum of service, there's so much that we could offer um, from all the way to supervised living to independent living. There's just a wide array of of, um, of value in just knowing and understanding what we can offer. Two. One. So Tiffany, we've talked about supportive and supervised living. Can you tell us more about independent living? Sure. Um, so I can add to our continuum of services that we provide here at Fraser. Independent living is the last one that uh, I can talk a little bit about. And it's just like it sounds. It is our highest level of independence living um, situation that we have to offer. We operate five apartment buildings designed for adults with developmental disabilities who can live independently with the most minimal amount of support. Um, these apartment buildings are located in various areas of the metro, like I had mentioned. Um, and they're made possible with the funding from the United States Department of um, housing and Urban Development. It's a partnership that Fraser um, had set up. Um, and um, and these individuals um, in these types of resident, residential settings may pay rent based on their income. Um, again, they're employed and they have skills to be very self-sufficient. So they're more like a tenant in an apartment setting. Um, so in this situation, we actually have a property manager who oversees all five of um, those those buildings. Um, and we have uh, about 20 individuals living in each of those settings, um, those apartment settings. We included also with the property manager, we have coordinators who assist the program manager with oversight of those buildings, whether it be facility-wide, um, physical plant, and also just making sure that the individuals are remaining safe and, and their health and safety are are maintained while they're living in those apartments. Um, we then have a tenant advocate who actually lives on site, so has their own apartment wow. in each building. And they're available within limited hours, um, but also available 
anytime when an individual, say, has any kind of emergency. So again, we're looking at a much more independent living setting versus the apartment setting. They were on their own. They had the 24-7 staff um, in, their, in, a, in an apartment setting in that building where here actually in these apartment settings, they actually have their tenant advocate who is very limited in, in um, that support, but still available at all times. So, um, and they're available for emergency situations and tenant issues that may come up. For, but for the most part, they're very independent. Um, so it's a very, um, it's a very unique, unique situation. Um, and like I said, it's, um, it's, a, it's another part of our continuum of service that we offer through our Fraser Liver, uh, Community Living Services. For more information, or if, like I said, if you'd like to set up um, any kind of learn, learning session through myself or any of my team, our uh, phone number is 612-767-5180. Fantastic. Thanks again, Tiffany. Thank you for listening to FraserCast, a place where we discuss all things autism, mental health, and special needs. For more information, visit us at www.fraser.org. That's F-R-A-S-E-R.org. And with that, I want to close by once again thanking our sponsor, Central Roofing, who is sponsoring the 2020 Fraser Walk for Autism at the Mall of America. Please visit fraser.org for more information.